released on Sunday, January 17th, 2016. This is Agile Life, episode 104, Chasing a Different Dragon. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone. I'm the host of This Agile Life, John Sextro. Joining me today, we have two wonderful co-hosts. First up, Craig Buchek. Hey, everybody. It's been a while, huh? It has been far too long. We're back from a long winter's rest. How do we do this again? I forget. We just act like monkeys behind microphones. That sounds about right. (laughs) It's nice to see that after a long time, things have not changed. Hey, there's another monkey behind a microphone. It's Amos King. Hello, hello. I missed you guys. We missed you. It's been, uh, far, it's been far too long for the three of us to be together. I can't wait till we get the rest of the crew back in shape as well. Yeah, yeah, it, it'll be good. Well, can we leave Tice out this year? That was my actual, my 2016 resolution. I see. <laughs> it's not, I, saw, I saw Tice tonight. Uh, is he doing good? Yeah, he's full of energy, believe it or not. <laughs> no way! <laughs> yeah. Was it hashtag uh, too much Tice? <laughs> no, uh, Luke Homan was speaking, so it's mostly Luke Homan and not too much Tice. Just enough Tice. The right amount. Yep. The perfect I, amount of Tice. Actually, I miss Tice too. Tice is nice. Well, guys, um, so we're back. We're doing episode 104. Can you believe it? Episode 104. Wow. Uh, did we do like 100 like two and a half months ago or something? I think so. <laughs> Shh, don't mention that. <laughs> but now we're back. We're committed again to producing episodes on a regular basis. And here we go, episode 104. So today, what are we going to talk about, Amos? We did have a little bit of a retrospective about, about moving forward and producing on a regular basis. Just, I, I just thought that was an interesting thing. In Slack, it was very brief. It was very well. It, it took a week, but it was a brief conversation. Yeah. Um. But I, I just really liked how it went. How we had suggestions and we ran with it, and we're going to have some uh, a regular scheduled night to record, and and then some other nights that are possible to, in case we have have changes. So you know what good. I what I really want to do is get you guys all together in St. Louis and sit down for a while and have a real retrospective. A real honest to goodness retrospective. You just want to put me in a room so that Tyson and I have to hug it out. Right. <laughs> well, you had a you had a topic tonight, Amos, that you suggested that we were gonna talk about. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um Do you remember? Yeah, how do you if you have a full team of people, this is something that I, I see on a regular basis with a lot of teams uh, is that they get in this. Um, I, I want to call it the uh, oh, my gosh, I have a customer funk <laughs> where uh, anytime any user or customer has a suggestion, suddenly it's like this number one priority this customer is huge. We're, the whole world is going to end if we don't have this out today. So you can't do a proper um, fix. Just like put in this hacky thing and we'll go back later and fix it. And then, of course, as soon as that's done, 
the next customer has a suggestion that is, oh my God, number one. And, and it's just, it's like a, it's, it's just a snowball effect. And, and I, how do you break that snowball effect? That's a good, that's a good one. I think a lot of people probably feel that pain. And even if they don't have like an external customer, which I think is what you're referring to as kind of an external customer, even if they have, like if you have paying customers and, and it's, everything is always this big customer needs this. And I know that, uh, GitHub, uh, there was an article, um, I can't remember who it was. Somebody that worked at GitHub wrote about how GitHub had a customer come in and do that. And, and at the time they needed money and it was like, oh, well, we're not we're not going to sign with you is actually. So it wasn't a customer yet unless you add this feature. And uh, they ended up fighting it and telling the customer no. Um, and the customer signed anyway. Even after <laughs> saying I won't. Uh, and so- I, I think that's a good lesson to learn. But if you didn't learn that early and your company is built around this um oh my gosh we have to say yes to everything and yes means we'll have it to you by the end of today um or you know they try to anyway that's the goal is like if i'm gonna say yes to what you have and and try to get to you by the end of the day all right i have a question about your question i'm I'm rambling is is your problem more about um, that you get it in and you have technical debt, you don't do it right because you're rushed? Or is it more that your feature set is sort of all over the, the map and it doesn't feel like a cohesive design anymore? Mm, so I, I've seen both uh, at different places. So I think there's one okay. where you have the product vision problem. Right. And then the right. other one is like nothing is designed well uh you have to you're putting in hacks on a daily basis somebody is putting in something that they say this is a hack this is horrible but i gotta get this out because it's a big customer and we're gonna lose them well agile agile let me first say that you know agile is a lot about responding to change but you don't want to uh you you don't want to be switching priorities like every day right you want to try and have some time to focus on delivering one thing well without just slamming it together and throwing it out there. I, I think oftentimes this happens because groups haven't established like uh, a mechanism for bringing this, this input into a team. And so every time or into a project for a product, right? So every time they get one of these requests, they're just like, Oh my God, you know, we have to immediately do this. And I don't think that I don't think that most people have an expectation in the real world that when they make a request of someone like that, that they're going to commit to getting it done instantly. You know, usually it's like, oh, you, you know, people are are comfortable with, that's an excellent idea. I appreciate you telling us that. I realize you want that in order to purchase our product and we'll get on that as soon as possible. Right now we're in the process of delivering this new feature and We'll discuss making quality. your feature next. So uh, a lot of times just getting on the roadmap is, should be enough to sell a, a new customer. Right. Especially if they're so, bigger and understand how long things take to, 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 well, to do. And, and the thing about, you know, you said agile is about responding to change um, and doing things quickly. I think that uh, responding to change might mean, yeah, we're going to get on that. Even like we might have the bandwidth to start on it, but it also doesn't mean hurry up and rush this out. 
and doing things quickly doesn't mean not doing them right. Uh, I think that quickly is it needs to be defined. And, and that's the problem is that for some people quickly means the end of the day. Some people means as as in a reasonable amount of time, but yet still having quality. Yeah, you need to set your expectations, I think, with whoever's you know making those promises is is <laughs> over promising and therefore going to under under deliver i i often wonder if if the person is over promising or if they are they are handling the customer in the correct manner but then thinking i can get a lot of performance out of this and i can make us look good because suddenly we have that feature by telling the team that we're going to lose them if we don't. Well, if you, if you get the feature in too quick, every single time they're going to ask for a hard feature and expect it to be done really quickly. And that's not going to work. Well, and even after a while, the quick features become hard, right? eh, Maybe depending on if you're not, if you're not doing any design, if everything that you put in is just like another, then yeah. And I think that we end up there. What are the what are the physical mechanics of how this happens, Amos? For example, is it a, is it a situation where on a daily basis someone comes in and says, "I want everybody to stop work on what we're doing now. We need to switch gears to this new body of work." No. Uh, well, I I have seen that, um, but that's not the particular case that uh, I'm talking about. It's it it just ends up as a, the top thing in the next queue. But then when you go to pull it off and you try to get some more information or ask questions about it, they're like, don't worry about getting like this great design or anything. This needs to go out the door today. This is a big customer or whatever. Sometimes it, it gets like, Hey, stop what you're working on. Um, but I find that happens less. Um, the stop what you're working on thing, because I think a lot of companies have, figured out that they don't get a lot done if they're always stopping. Well, what's uh, it sounds, it doesn't sound so bad now that you explained it a little more that you're explaining that the request becomes uh, the next, the next priority in your queue. The, the issue is, is that whenever you say, Hey, this needs, this needs some time spent on it. This needs we need to uh, make sure we have tests oh, that I see that a lot. Like there, there's a code. Something gets into code review and you're like, hey, there are no tests on this. And they're like, oh, yeah, uh, that's true. And they should have tests. But this is a big customer requirement that if we don't get it out today, we're going to we're going to lose a big customer. So what if we make a follow up? I think you're you're what you're saying is it's the overcommitment or the overpromising especially in regards to when when we will deliver it. So, yeah. So you guys have to by hook or by crook deliver on that date even if it means skipping tests or a poor design or not really thinking through how you should go about re redoing rearchitecting to accommodate for the new feature so you end up leaving yourself with some less than ideal situations within the code maybe you've created some technical debt right and and i have seen um some teams that have been able to say hey we've got to get this out now uh but we have a follow-up that we're going to immediately jump on to work on let's say the design and they do 
But most teams, there's always some other priority that gets put in front of that, and it never seems to happen. That I've I've worked with. I'm not going to say most teams in general, but most teams that I've had a chance to come in and work with, that has been a big issue. Are those activities not somehow built into the process of developing the feature, the stories? Going back and making it right? Yes. Um... Well, not not once it's been said that this is this has got to go up now. We'll make a follow up. So that the follow up follow never up gets worked on. Yeah, at a lot of at a lot of teams that I've worked with, right? It's like a a big thing to have to push back on. Well, how about never getting in a situation in the first place where I think what we're talking about here is how do we avoid getting into a situation like this where somebody has overpromised for us and then we are stuck in the situation of of having to deliver by hook or by crook, right? Right. So I hate to sound like a jerk, but sometimes you have to let the person causing the pain feel the pain. And sometimes that means not getting it done in time. Not not giving them what they've overpromised. I mean they're not gonna learn their lesson if they keep, you know, doing the wrong thing but you keep catering to them so how do you overcome the pressure like everybody wants to be successful right you you want to do a good job you if you work for a company that uh has external customers that pay money you want to see customers come in you want to see that revenue bar at the quarterly report going up it makes you feel good to feel like you're doing your part so when it's sold to you as you're saving the day because you're getting us this big customer, you're saving us this big customer. How do you overcome that, that feeling of, oh my gosh, I have to get this done now. Well, so, and so damn the, damn the sending consequences. Out, sending out a crappy product first is not how to win the market. Who, who made the most popular MP3 product? Was it the first one that went out or was it the one that took their time and made a really good one called an iPod? You know, which one do you remember? Do you remember the first one? I don't even remember what the first one was anymore. Or do you remember was the there, iPod? Was there one if before you want the iPod? Make, well, the iPod was way late to the game, actually. I know. I know. I know when, the only thing I remember is Winamp really whips the llama's ass. I remember my <laughs> I remember my Rio MP3 player that was... Well, that was after, though, right? No. The Rio was before the iPod? I think so. Once the iPod came out, almost all the other ones disappeared. Yeah. You make a good point. The point is, you sending crap out is not going to be how you make millions of dollars. It's going to be how you ruin your company. The problem becomes setting the precedent. And I don't know if you guys have read the book Essentialism. Uh, I don't. I don't even. Nope. Know, I don't even know the, the the author or the if that's the exact name of the book. But he he relates a story in there to um, priorities and being being an essentialist about priorities and and there's two interesting things that i i recall reading about about this particular thing one is that for the longest time the word priority was singular there was no plural of the word ah. of the word priority uh i think the yeah. word the word was the word was created in like the 1700s and not until like the 1930s or 1940s was there a sing, was there a plural version of the word priority yeah, have you ever? I've done this a lot of times. To ask the, someone, the manager or the customer or whoever, 
product manager to prioritize things and they just put a one on everything. I'm like, that's not helping me. No. <laughs> I want you to put a rank. I want you to never mind. Don't prioritize them. Rank them. Yeah. The, All right. the other I interesting have- thing, sorry, Amos, the other interesting thing about this was a story where a, a, a a boss was doing this all of the time to his workers and always saying, you know, I need you to save the day. I, I've all of a sudden got this thing. I need you to save the day. And there was a woman that was planning for her wedding and she had worked really, really hard and put in a lot of hours to finish some stuff ahead of time so that she had time to work on finishing the planning of her wedding. And, um, she had done what the boss asked. And then once she finished that project, the boss was like, well, now I need you to do this thing and this other thing. And she said, no, you know, I, I worked really hard to deliver what we, what I needed to do for this week. And I've set this time aside for, uh, finishing the planning of my wedding. And her boss was upset at initially, but then the boss went to the next person and the next person, they all told the boss, everyone told the boss, no, and and the boss gained more respect for those people and then actually saw their point of view because the boss tried to go and do this uh on their own and and was like oh god i you know didn't realize what i was asking and saying no is is a very powerful thing and i often coach product owners and tell them that their most important job for the team is to say no and it's often very difficult for people to do when we were at, uh, I, we, when I say we, Craig and I went to RubyConf this year and the last night of RubyConf, I actually had a very long and heated talk where I told a bunch of developers that the number one thing they can learn is to tell their boss no, but to do it right. And when necessary. Craig told me yeah, I should Amos turn it a big, into a talk. Yeah, Amos is very good at saying no and, and also pushing that idea to other people. So why hasn't Amos, someone? Every time Amos say, every time Amos says no, he wins. It's it's the the funniest thing, and that's probably more true of everyone than they might think. And unless Craig's around, what? Yeah, because when I tell Craig no, he's like, "Oh come on," and I give in. Uh, <laughs> your problem in this case sounds like you you're afraid that by saying no, things will fail. And, and and I I think that fear often comes from outside pressure. But how how do you teach people to overcome that fear? It reminds me of the introspective and introspective we had about my fear of failure. Now it sounds like you're kind of facing a similar fear of failure. Mm, yeah, maybe. I I think that the 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 fact that you're probably not working at a sustainable pace. Yeah. By doing these things and by probably working late, working fast, cutting corners is, is more likely to lead to failure than, than having to occasionally tell someone no, or rather than no, it's like, yes, but we're not going to be able to have that done when you need it done. You know, it's going to take us a little bit longer. Maybe if you could convince them, you know, talk about the quality that you're going to deliver and the thinking and doing it right the first time means you're not going to have to redo it. You're not going to have to work out the bugs that the customer. So you just, you just got this new customer. You just sold this customer, this new feature. 
and it's going to be buggy and they're going to hate it. And they're going to, they're actually going to not keep you because you're delivering buggy software, buggy features for the thing that they're actually looking at. So maybe a yes and or a yes, yeah, but right. Oh yes. And I love that. I, te- I teach my kids. Yes. yes and, and we're going to, yes. Yeah. And we're going to do a good job or yes, but we're going to do a good job. Oh, not but. Yes, and. Yes, and. I think. I don't know how better. you can yes, and this one. I think this one's a yes, but. Or, or yes, and. Yes, and. We're going to sell you a little more than you asked for, but it's going to take a little longer. So there's still a but in there, though. It could also, you could also approach it from the perspective of, yes, we're going to deliver that feature next. And to do it the right way, it's going to take us a couple of extra days beyond what you expect it. You know, a lot of people, when they go and they ask someone for something, they're going to ask for their ideal, ideal situation, mm-hmm. right? They'll say, hey, can you, the world. can you finish building my house in three months? Knowing that, well, they'd love to have it in three months, but if it took four or five, it, would that be the end of the world? No, it, they, they kind of expect that. So I think, I think everyone is conditioned in a certain way to always ask for the world. Like Craig said, they ask for the world. Can you get... Can you also do this? Can you also get that done? And if you just keep saying yes. I think there's a culture of pressure of if I pressure you, you will get it done. fast. I assume that you'll get it done faster if I pressure you into it or if I give you. So it sounds like like you're like, you know, on the streets of Mexico or New York City or wherever. And someone is offering, you know. A DVD for or a Rolex watch for thirty five dollars, and you're like, oh, I was, gonna, I was okay. I I think we but, should go back should, to MP3 you players. Take them down to you know twenty dollars or something. You know, you shouldn't pay the first thing they ask. That yeah, that's true. It's, well, in this country, but in other countries, yeah. No, New York City streets in New York City. They oh, if you're at a street they, market, that's true. Yeah, and you can. It turns out you can actually negotiate almost anything, or like a home in most markets in this country, you don't offer them, you know, the asking price. You go down a little bit, or a car. Yeah, you never buy. A, I was getting ready to say you never buy a car for the price on the sticker. But that's yeah, a situation. I never buy a car without walking out of the the building first. And that's a situation <laughs> where you would ask for your ideal, you know. And if the car dealer always said. Yeah, I'll sell you the car for half half price. You know, they never make any money. And they'd have people that walk away. They would lose customers, right? But yeah, that's okay because they're they're still going to have enough people that that want that product. I know it's not the same thing, but saying I, no, saying no is difficult. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way when I go to buy a car though. I wish people would just say, "Here's the price and I can buy it or not." I don't like to play games. I don't like to play there's, games there's with my customers. Like that. I know. <laughs> but if the, game, the expectation is the game is going to be played, it's a little better than if you don't expect that, and, and, and you should be. So another answer to the question is, is professionalism. Um, Uncle Bob Martin, Robert Martin, has uh, talked a bit in the past few months about professionalism of programmers. And one of the points he makes is, that if you go to a doctor and say, hey, cut my arm off, it's perfectly healthy, but could you cut my arm off? And the doctor will say, no, that's, that's, we, we have a profession that says we're not going to do any harm. 
So they can actually say no even to their boss if it violates their professional ethics. I, I and, can't believe I'm going to say this, but but maybe a working agreement would be in order? Or just... It's sort of like the... Well, we are sort of talking about, you know, the, the manager or the customer saying, don't write tests. Well, that's not his business how I do my job. I'm the professional programmer here. This is how I get the product out quicker or with higher quality or whatever. You know, how I do that is a professional decision, not a anything else. Yeah, working agreements or um or I, I tend to I think a lot of teams call them working agreements, but there's they go by other names, you know. Uh, I know my daughter's school, every class, the very first day of class, they they do a social contract. Well, I, I I think that part of this is the fact that you you really haven't worked through just a I guess a working agreement as to how this how this work happens and the de facto situation, the, your de facto working agreement is that whoever whoever is fielding these requests for these features just gets to pick um when you know gets to kind of decide when the delivery date's going to be that's how terrible is that you know you need to re re reset the expectations with everybody around that and and the situations that i'm talking about it's maybe not a, a delivery date that's promised but there's just this pressure on to just push it out as quickly as possible. So why, why, let's do the five whys. Why is there pressure to push it out? Fear. Nice. Fear of what? Why is there fear? Uh, fear of losing customer. Fear uh, of not making the customer absolutely ecstatic. I don't even know. That's not even the right thing. I think fear of losing the customer. Um, fear of looking like you're not doing a good job. Um, well, why, and, why is why is that why does that fear exist? Has that is that something that has historically happened? I I, I don't think anybody's worried about getting let go at many places. Uh, it's um, I I also I don't know. I think that fear goes along with the sense of accomplishment of whenever somebody is like, "Thank you, you saved." Like somebody from sales is like, "You saved us a big customer," People or "You loved- gained us a big customer by getting that out quickly." Yeah. So there's like this, there's like a, a really big, it feels like, you know, it's, it's, um, uh, it's, gratification. it's like a, yeah. And it, and you, it makes you feel really good and you get like this great ecstatic feeling there real quick and then it goes away, but you, and then you're going after that again. It's you're chasing the drag, the chasing the dragon. That was a show title. Hey, that was, that yeah. Was but you are, you're trying to, um, trying to chase that high and you're, you're reinforcing that hero behavior where it's like, I'm going to swoop in and save the day by delivering this feature. And I'm telling you that that's just not a long-term sustainable way to operate. Well, you know, and, and I think there's a big difference between also like swooping in and cutting corners. Right. And you have both. You have those. You have both of those people. You have people who are like, "I'm going to stay up all night and do a fantastic job," and then you have people that are like, "Well, I can throw in this hack in two minutes." 
And usually, usually either one of them end up in a bad situation in the long run because you end up with technical debt either way. Right. And, and maybe arguably worse than that is that you've set a precedent. You set a precedent yeah. with that person that they can make unreasonable requests and that you're going to come through. And if I just pat you on the back and, and give you a $5 Starbucks gift card, you know, you'll do it again for me in the future. Because they didn't feel any, any, not, not maybe necessarily pain, but they didn't have to feel the consequences of their actions. I covered it up for them. I agree with what you said earlier, though, Craig. The, the pain needs to be shared equally. Yeah. You know, the, these people kind of do that, that uh, seagull move where they, they drive by and shit on you and then fly off. <laughs> wow. With, That's an interesting metaphor. With these, you know, with these requests, they're like, Hey, uh, we need this feature done by, by tomorrow morning. And, uh, thanks. I'm, I'm going home to, uh, have dinner with my wife yeah. and family. Oh, I've seen that a lot too. You know, I've, yeah. I've been in situations where people have done that. And it's like, well, if, if we need to pull an all nighter to really get this thing done, because it's like, you know, the, the company's going to fold if we don't, then everybody and their brother's going to be here. And I don't give a shit if you're, I don't give a shit if all you're doing is holding the door open so that it doesn't get hot in here or you're going out and getting chips and soda or pizza for everybody. It's like, you don't get, you don't get to go home, you know? Now, now, at the same time, I've seen these two cultures put together, the work-life balance culture and the we've got to get this done right away culture. And you still have people, everybody still like heads out, even if it's not done. But that doesn't mean that first thing in the morning, they're not pushing something really bad because they're they're still getting it done within the work life balance time frame that they think they should have. But they're not. They're not pushing out the quality because they're still trying to get it done quickly. Right. They, they still do a bad job. Right. They cut corners and it takes them. It takes them longer, but they don't they don't do the right thing. That is a, I think that is a question of your process and what are your working agreements to help help keep that from occurring? Are you doing code reviews? Are you committed to quality? Are you doing, are you, are you taking the time to go through a red green refactor cycle for not just your, your commits, but your, your completions of your stories and talking about the sustainability of your architecture. Are you even so testing? You said something there. You said something there that was, that was interesting to me and it's something I I'm seeing result of i mean you're you're in the short term you're saving time by getting it out there quickly right but in the long term you're actually losing time by doing it wrong the first time you know it's it's one of those do it right the first time and you'll you'll save time in the long run so it's sort of a i'm not i'm not gonna say technical debt but it's this debt that you've built up and since you didn't do it right the first time you have to pay that back later and you keep building that up every time you don't fix it later. And so every subsequent thing you need to do takes longer. Yes. So it's, it's, it's maybe uh, tactically makes sense, but strategically it's a terrible idea. And um, it, when we were actually at RubyConf, there was a talk by Heidi Waterhouse, uh, seven righteous fights. I think it was called. And one of her things was do it right the first time. It, because you'll save time and you're never going to go back and you're probably never going to go back and do it. You're going to move on to the next thing and you're going to do the same problem and you just keep building. So just say no and do it right the first time. Yeah. 
we all we all say, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this hack, and I have the best of intentions to go back and and do it correctly. And you just the reality is, you never really you never really get the chance to go back and do that. You or you you forget about what was the right way to do it. You know, you once your time shifted away from that um, that work, you forget what you were what you were doing and why you were going to make that change and why you were going to improve it. So it's it's much less expensive to do it in process, if you will, or when it's when it's at the top of your mind. You could go in there and fix it with a chainsaw, but if you if you took an extra half a day to go get the right sort of a you know scroll saw that you really need to do the change with, then you're not going to have the all the jagged edges and the imprecise cuts that you would you would make with a chainsaw as opposed to some sort of a scroll saw. But but I want that guitar cut out today. Okay. Yeah, I I understand. <laughs> you, yes. Yeah, that guitar's gonna sound great, isn't it? <laughs> yes, I, I I and I want to give you that guitar today, but I can't do it with the tools that I have, and it's gonna take me a little bit longer to give you a quality guitar because I have to get the right tools and I have to do it correctly. So sometimes we have to obey the laws of physics, you know. Yeah. And one of my definitions of Agile is facing reality, you know, facing the reality that that to do this right and well, and so it doesn't hurt me later, it's going to take two days and not one. And and facing that reality, dealing with that reality, and sometimes taking advantage of that reality or finding ways like the reality of, of focus. You know, I have trouble focusing, so how do we work around that? How do we face reality? And find a way to leverage some other thing to help with that. That's a, it's an excellent question, Craig. Of how do we help people face reality? And I think it boils down to just not, not sugarcoating things with people and taking taking the time with, with people to discover what what is reality. What does the reality look like for this? Yeah, the reality that everything. That everything can't be the top priority, you know, things like that. I, I face all the time with, with customers. Yeah. I think that you have to find ways to put the failure in their face when it does come back to bite them. They have to, they have to have the, you know, they have to have the same skin in the game as you do. They have to feel the pain that you feel. I feel bad about calling it pain. Well, they, they have to recognize the issue i think i think that's where it comes from is that if you've been in the game long enough you you recognize these issues and you notice the pain sooner because you felt it at its worst and you backed off from that and then you felt it at its second worst and backed off and it, at some point you've learned to recognize the pain really early and so how do you teach people to recognize the pain really early like you do whenever they're not <laughs> there yet that's interesting. So basically, we're extra sensitive to pain. Certain you know, types we, of pain. We see it, I'm sure we see that it other coming. See, see pains that we don't. That's that's true. We're we're sensitive to seeing it ahead of time. And if there's pain from the other end, we should feel that equally as well. We have a. I I've been yeah. in situations on teams before where there's someone that that's shouldering a, a large amount of pain. Maybe it's a defect reports from customers or complaints from users or things like that. And it, it's, 
that's one of the things that, that I've always encouraged uh, teams to share the pain on because if people are protected from feeling that pain, then they don't know that the pain exists and therefore they don't know that they should modify their behavior to avoid that pain. It's, it's learning, it's learning through experience rather than, you know, through reading a book. I think you, I think people learn much more through experience. So if you learn that, if you learn as a team that by, and this is just an example, of course, that by delivering a product that has quality issues that you will, um, you will feel the pain of customer complaints and, and bug reports and having to work extra to fix bugs, then the team will will feel that pain and they'll say, I don't want to feel that pain anymore. Therefore, I'll work in a way that'll help me avoid creating that pain in the future. I've got, I've got two responses. First is um, team ownership. So, you know, the product owner or someone like that should be on your team to, to share in, in all of those things. Um, on the other hand, if you're a manager and your developers or whoever else is under you screws up or the team screws up, you should try to take the blame um, but give all the acclaim to your your people. So I, I think part of the issue is in our startup world, right? We live in this world where there are startups all the time. and the pain is usually recognized in money. So money's rolling in and you're doing a great job and you're getting new customers and you keep pushing and you keep pushing and your product is slowly getting to a point where you can't continue to push like that. And the pain when it is recognized is sometimes recognized way too late because you're continuing to get money. And then this other startup comes in and they see what you did that was good, and then they improve that product and make it more solid with less bugs because they do it right. And then you're shut down. By the time you realize that what's going on, your your market share has is starting to tank real fast. It's not like a slow runoff. Happens People all the time. Running from you. Take a look. Yeah. Take a look at MySpace. So so one by the time you recognize that people are running the other way and there's not a good way to get them back. There was a book that I read not too long ago. I'm trying to think of it. I don't remember if I do remember. We'll put it in the show notes um, where they talk about the third product to market is usually the best one. And and usually the one that takes all the share. Product one paves the way. Product two is a direct competitor and does a little better. Product three sits and waits. And does it right? Do they and clear the field up, too? And one and two. Well, yeah, one and two are too busy fighting with each other by the time three comes in. Hmm. So, having gone through this discussion, Amos, how do you think you and your team should behave differently in the future to deal with this? I, I think that there needs to be a step back and um, and learning to understand the real consequences like we need to make sure like is is this person like really out the door today and and then we also need to learn to say no we're going to do this right yes actually we don't need to learn to say no right Craig we need to learn to say yes and we're going to do a quality job there's there's your aunt huh and i would encourage you also to want to try to find a way where you you don't have to say 
you don't have to say no. The team doesn't have to say no. This is something I preach a lot uh, to the teams that I work with is let's establish a bar or a set of expectations with people that provide a set of realism in there that you have to you have to meet that bar before we will accept uh accept this as new work to do therefore if if you you haven't if the bar hasn't if if the bar hasn't been attained the process says no right and then there's a conversation that has to happen if there's a need to escalate it but it's like we need to have the, the following things before we can really do do this work you know reasonable time frame to get it done in a a fair understanding of what it is that we're going to be accomplishing and whatever the whatever the whatever you come up with but come up with some some realistic uh parameters that someone would have to supply in order to make it, make this really an actionable thing that you can work on something that you could work on within a realistic amount of time and then it's not you or the team saying no it's it's what you've established as your practices that are saying no, and so oftentimes people are more receptive to that than a than a single individual saying, "Yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna be able to get that done today." Yeah, I I think that's good if you can get an agreed upon standard. So I think you guys probably do need some working agreements. You probably need to have a conversation about establishing an environment of trust where you're okay with saying no to the people that that bring this work to you. And, and making sure that you guys are able to establish that and then also talk about why it's why it is bad to to continually say yes and how it's hurting you and how it's hurting the team and less about how it's hurting you and more about how it's hurting the team or the product or the company yeah all right well Amos you'll have to report back to us and let us know how this works out I'll I'll try it with a few teams excellent this week's hottest picks. Amos, you're up first. Oh, I'm out. I'm up first. So I, I actually had to look up how to pronounce this. So I hope I pronounced it right. Uh, Glenn Morangi. Uh, I have a, a single malt scotch whiskey. Uh, the Quinta Ruban. It's it's a 12 year scotch and then finished off in a pork cask. It's it's really good. I've been enjoying it through the entire podcast. Very good pick. And, I, and and that's the only pick I have cuz I'm keeping it I'm keeping it simple. Ah, we're keeping them alcohol related tonight. Well, at least Amos and, and I are keeping them alcohol related and then then Craig'll swoop in with the real picks. So my <laughs> my pick is next. I I've recently become a big fan of of this particular beer. It's from Four Hands Brewery here in St. Louis, Missouri, and it's called Absence of Light. It is a peanut butter and chocolate milk stout beer. It's absolutely unbelievable. That sounds horrible. I know. I I said the same thing, Craig, and then I had some. I had some down at the Budweiser Brew House at the Baseball Village uh, on tap, and it was just. It was just so good. It really is like a dessert, a beer for dessert. So if you have the means, if you're in uh, in the area, St. Louis area, you can get your hands on this right now during the winter months. It's the only time that they create brew this beer. I'm going to have to drive to town. Yeah. All right, Craig, what do you have? All right. My alcohol pick is not drinking alcohol um, or for that matter, soda. So what's left? Uh, mostly water. I see. Um, so I've lost 15 pounds in the past six or eight months. Congratulations. 
And a lot of that was not drinking alcohol and more recently soda. Soda was harder to give up for me. So when I'm drinking, I only drink like five or six a month and that shouldn't be enough calories to make a difference. But I think it changes my metabolism enough to make a difference. Um, so I pretty much, I did drink a few there and I made it through the holidays without gaining weight. Um, so that was, even that was sort of an accomplishment. So starting to get back into cutting down the soda and I did have a few drinks. Uh, Amos bought me a beer or two and I, I did break my not drinking for a while there. Um, I'm, I'm moving on. High pressure. He is. <laughs> I need to learn how to say no. Um, my next pick and this is going to make Amos mad, is the Scrum Guide. Now, I'm not picking Scrum. I'm picking the Scrum Guide. Uh, I, think, I think you should read the Scrum Guide. It's actually pretty short, and it pretty much defines what Scrum is. And I was a little surprised because there's a lot of things that aren't in there that we blame on Scrum. So I, I'm not completely letting Scrum off the hook, but I think we need to be a little more clear about what Scrum is. And my third and final pick is uh, the recommended reading list for developers from Coding Horror. And it's got, that's horror, not horror. And uh, it's got a good list of books um, that you should take a look at. Awesome. I also recently saw that uh, Bill Gates came up, came out with like seven books that everyone should read or something. I didn't pay, I didn't read them. I didn't read the list either. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson had a book, uh, a list of, I think, eight books. And they were very, a very interesting list. You know, things, they were usually pretty old, like uh, the Bible and Origin of Species and some things like that. Well, those are all good picks, guys. Thanks. And uh, I, I got to add one. Uh, he, we're, we're having a late entry pick. We are Amos. having a late entry because uh, Craig mentioned Coding Horror, and I, I brought this up uh, a while back to him. I don't think I picked it, but there's a a new programming jargon uh, article on on coding horror that is is pretty entertaining and has some fun stuff like Smurf typing, I believe, was one of them. Smurf naming convention, like whenever you have uh, account and then account view and account controller all inside of an uh, account folder. <laughs> It's just, it, it was, it's interesting. There's some good stuff in there that you'll probably end up using every day. Great. That's a bonus pick. We'll have to charge extra for bonus that one. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for this episode. For everyone listening, please check out thisagilelife.com for our show notes and for all of our past 104 episodes. Thanks for listening. And as always, keep living this agile life. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.